Welcome back to the latest edition of The Audible, presented by Trader Joe's. I am Bruce Feldman, joined, as always, by my colleague, Stuart Mandel. We are coming to you guys the morning after what felt like a pretty full college football Saturday. Lots of SEC, some more wild, crazy stuff from the Big 12. Stu, does this feel... But probably like like what you remember college football feeling like on a Sunday morning. It was awesome, and I think that the the best indication of that this was actually a real college football Saturday is that um, when it gets to the end of the night, like my, usually I, I have trouble falling asleep because my head is still spinning and I'm still kind of amped up from from everything, trying to process everything. That was not the case the last couple of weeks. I did not have that that rush at any point, but I did. Certainly on Saturday, because not just did we have games back, big games back, but to have two, have the defending national champs and regular playoff team Oklahoma both go down in big upsets uh, really just made this feel like, oh yeah, this is what college football Saturday feels like. Yeah, I mean, it was was pretty crazy. I got to admit, like, the Oklahoma game... um, you and I, I remembered your note. Uh, so, <laughs> like full disclosure, uh, Stu sends the note of these are the games I think we should pick this week. Uh, I don't know if he sends it Sunday afternoon or Monday, and it includes the spreads. And at one point, I think he had said, I'm going to only include K State, Oklahoma, because the spread was so big, it was minus 28. Um, because it's the big noon kickoff game. So it was a nod to my employer or whatever. <laughs> well, and that game turned out to be wild. Um, and Chris Kleiman from K-State got Oklahoma again. The thing that to me was kind of a real head turner here was twofold. One, K-State had been dealing with a lot of issues related to covid Seven guys on their two deep were going to be out for this game. They looked really bad the last time we saw them against an Arkansas State team that was depleted itself by COVID, right? So you had that. And then I think what was a little more different with the Oklahoma game to me than even LSU-Mississippi State was I was thinking Oklahoma's a playoff contender team. Should be much better on defense. They expected they'd be much better on defense. And then here it was. It just felt, except for the part where you're breaking in a young quarterback as opposed to a new quarterback, and there were some issues with Spencer Rattler and the offensive line, but just it was the same. It felt like the same old story for when Oklahoma struggles. The defense really just didn't show up, I felt like. And and in this case, they, Oklahoma did lead 28-7. to It did feel like this was going to be exactly the game you would expect from a 28-point favorite against a team that was missing uh, a lot of key players. Uh, and then it just completely changed. And you, know, you mentioned the defense. Obviously, that remains the Achilles heel for the Sooners. But uh, I think the thing that really surprised me was, I mean, it's going to be easy for people to say, oh, Spencer Rattler, he's not as good as the guys before him. He's not ready. But he threw three interceptions. But they could not protect him. K-State 
came after him in the fourth quarter and they couldn't protect him and he started making bad throws and um, it just feels very different from last year's K-State Oklahoma upset where that was later in the season to that point Oklahoma had looked great Jalen Hurts had looked great and you know people tried to play the oh they're never going to make the playoff thing and I said ah I think K-State might actually end up being pretty decent and if they're a 12 and one big 12 champ they'll be fine and that was the case in this case for this to be happen in their first big 12 game and the big 12 has really really struggled to this point whether it was the sunbelt three sunbelt upsets we'll get into this in a little bit later probably but texas probably should have lost to texas tech gave up 56 points uh there's not a not a lot of reasons to feel great about the big 12 right now and so i'm not eliminating oklahoma uh don't learn that lesson with ohio state in 2014 don't eliminate anybody after week two but it's a very strange season and their only non-conference game was missouri state so from this point forward they're going to be judged by solely by um how much respect the committee has for the big 12 and i don't know why they would have that respect right now yeah, I think the perception issue, and I, I don't, I wouldn't write off the Big Twelve entirely yet, but it's gotten off to about as bad a start as as it could be. Like you said, because of those three non conference Sun Belt losses, and to be honest, you know, a couple of them weren't close, right? Um, and then you have the way Texas looked. I mean, they needed a borderline miracle to, to win that game in overtime against Texas Tech, who, by the way, had all they could handle with Houston Baptist, right? And so I think the hard thing for them is going to be, like, it's going to be a perception battle of where do you go to build up to people saying, oh, they're, they're just all, you know, kind of mediocre teams who don't play great defense. And I also think you're going to see, like with K-State, you're going to see teams swing wildly from one game to the next. And, and we won't know um, who was unavailable in practice that week uh, that might have contributed to K-State losing to Arkansas State and who was back this week. And obviously there was two weeks between the games. So um, and, and UNC this week, for instance, is going to they come back. They haven't played in three weeks. So it's going to be hard to play the whole, well, they lost to this team, so they couldn't possibly be that good. You just don't know. Some of these are going to be – outlier results um speaking of that lsu mississippi state uh to me this was the moment where it truly felt like college football season cbs you know this was our first sec on cbs game the 330 eastern game and and i was intrigued by the matchup all along but i did think lsu would be fine until we find out saturday morning that Derek stingley is going to be out and it's like huh wrong matchup to lose your all-american cornerback for we know texas tech's going to throw the ball 50 times actually ended up being 60 i'm not saying that's the sole reason they lost but it was one of those things where you're like huh why did we all assume lsu would be fine after they were by the time they played that game they were down to three starters from last year's national title team i've never heard of a team having three returning starters um and it showed. Uh, KJ Costello just picked them apart. Those cornerbacks struggled. But, man, what a way for Mike Leach to to announce his return to the SEC. Yeah, it was kind of a perfect storm, I think, for Leach and Mississippi State in this regard. You have 
the defending national champs who are breaking in, like you said, almost everybody is new. So, yeah, they may have talent, but it's young, inexperienced talent. And you're going to see something that you've really never seen. Leach has a quarterback who, while he's new to the SEC, has played a ton of football. Now, he didn't have the benefit of having a full off season to get his timing down with the receivers. But from talking to guys I know on that uh, Mississippi State staff, I mean, they, they rave about how good K.J. Costello has looked in practice and about what he sees and kind of has a feel for things. He was very accurate on Saturday. And again, I agree with you. It's like Derek Stingley is probably the best defensive player in college football. That's the game they're going to miss him the most. I mean, I know they LSU really likes Elias Ricks, who most people thought was the top cornerback recruit in the country this year coming in. But that's his first game. And now you're basically looking at all the cover guys that LSU have are basically freshmen or a little more, you know, Cordell Flott played a lot last year, but it's it's really a green group. And I, it dawned on me about late in the first quarter, it's like, as I'm watching Ali Gay, who's a JC transfer defensive end, who played very well for LSU yesterday. But you're looking at it going... With the exception of Jacoby Stevens, like LSU is leaning right now on almost all newcomers. The guys weren't part of the, you know, it's Ali Gay and it is Jabril Cox, who's the transfer from North Dakota State. And there are these defensive backs who have not played before in a real game. And then there was some other guys like A. Rick Gilbert, who caught a touchdown pass, was their big tight end. And you got Miles Brennan, who didn't play last year. You got a starting center who came from Harvard. Uh, it just was like you're looking at it going, yeah, these guys may be talented, but this is a completely different team. And that's what it looked like. And I think, again, with what Leach does, and I think when when KJ got hot, I think that they were just kind of kept building on it. Because after watching it, like Miles Brennan got off to a really rough start, but I didn't think he played that bad given it's his first start. And given, you know, it's a, been a crazy offseason, I, I didn't think he, you know, I, I didn't think he was the reason they lost. I mean, it was just they could not cover receivers running open, whether it was Kylan Hill coming out of the backfield or it was receivers getting downfield. I mean, K.J. Costello had to hit some throws downfield and he kept on hitting them. And, uh, you know, it was a... Uh, it was a crazy day. I mean, it was it was at one point, and I don't know if this is in real time exactly how it matched up, but like you had Georgia with its hands full at Arkansas in the first half, and like who saw that coming? You know, it's just it was just kind of a, and maybe it's going to be that kind of year where you just like you said, you're going to see wild swings from one team to the one week to the next from certain teams. But I mean, it just felt felt like we were watching a lot of crazy. That's going to probably be the the norm this fall. So not to uh, brag, but I did kind of have a sense that the K.J. Costello-Mike Leach story would be a thing and did that story last week. Now, I had the advantage of, you know, I watched K.J. Costello quite a bit at Stanford. Um, and, you know, in the lead to that story I wrote last week, I mentioned this game in 2018. Both Stanford and Washington State were ranked teams. Minshew Mania was starting to take off. 
and it was a duel between uh, Minshew and Costello. Costello threw four touchdowns that night. Minshew then leads them to the game-winning field goal. But that game was on Pac-12 Network. Neither of those schools are you know schools that people in other parts of the country make a point to watch anyway. So it wouldn't surprise me if most people east of the Rockies have never even seen KJ Costello play. And and then last year he was injured so much he just fell off the map completely. But I just kept saying like that's a pretty important I mean, when it happened I think in February like that's a pretty big deal that he's getting an All Pac-12 quarterback to come in and run that offense. Now I didn't think. He was going to throw for 630 yards in his first start by by any means. Um, I thought they might struggle because of what you said earlier. You know, completely new offense. Mississippi State last year was a running team. Completely new offense, and they didn't have a spring practice to install the offense. But kudos to them. They clearly uh, He clearly picked it up very quickly, and uh, who knows? Um, certainly that gives me more, um, more confidence that Mississippi State could be could have a decent season this year. I, I had cannot written them off, uh, but I don't know if that means they're going to rise up. And who knows, right? I mean, Leach's teams are always pretty unpredictable from one week to the next. I'd be a little more worried for LSU. I think uh, it's clear that this is not remotely the 2019 team. It's a total restart at a lot of positions. Probably the most demoralizing thing is that they really talked up Bo Pelini and him bringing back the 4-3, and they're going to be so much more aggressive on defense. And it just completely backfired. You know, it seemed like having the... It's like once he lost Stingley, he didn't adjust, and he still had the corners playing press coverage most of the time, and they just kept getting beat over the top. Yeah, like I said, I think that was uh, when you miss your best player and you're really the only corner that has considerable experience, that showed up big. And I think that was... Uh, that ultimately became their undoing uh, on week one. Uh, what else stood out to you besides maybe the best player in the SEC this year is a tight end, and that's uh, Kyle Pitts <laughs> at Florida, who just look. I, Lane Kiffin's going to be fun at, at Ole Miss. He's got some players to work with on offense. They don't have much on defense, and I think Florida really exposed that. If there was any doubt of that. Back to the podcast in a second, but first, Bruce, a word about one of our sponsors, Artifact. So, Stu, Artifact sets you up with one of their professional interviewers to capture stories about the important people or things in life. Think about it like your own favorite podcast, but about whatever you want. You can do things like have them interview your parents about what their lives were like before you were born, or a birthday gift for your significant other, or have them interview close friends about her and the importance of their relationship. There's all sorts of ways to use Artifact. And in fact, you and I used Artifact to do a podcast episode where we were interviewed about our friendship and meeting back at ESPN Magazine in 1998 and uh, and the origins of the Audible. You can listen to that episode, by the way, at heyartifact.com slash audible. And the other thing is, not to get cheesy, but like, we've both known each other since we were single and then we both eventually got married and we both had children and we've, you know, I think that's, that's at the end of the day, like that's a much deeper bond than college football. Here's how it works for you. Go to heyartifact.com. Tell them a few basic things about what you want the artifact to be about. And then what we did was we answered a few pre-interview questions, scheduled the interview. The whole thing only took a few minutes 
in our interview. It was about 30 minutes long. It was easy. You just call in over your phone from your living room. From there, Artifacts professional editors and sound engineers take care of the edit, and the final product is great. You can listen to it for yourself at heyartifact.com audible. And you can see great examples of how people use Artifact to start your own at heyartifact.com. So use promo code audible and get $40 off your episode. Again, heyartifact.com audible. Yeah, Kyle Trask looked great. Kyle Pitts is a monster. Um, look, I, I've been underestimating Florida all offseason. I thought the hype had gotten a little out of control. You picked them to go to the playoff. Uh, but Kyle Trask, you know, I think the storyline around him last year, it was actually surprising to see he was the highest-rated passer coming back in the SEC, but he looked even better, I think, than at any point he did last season. Now, contrast that with Georgia the team that that I would have assumed would have been the pick in the SEC East, who, what, a month ago, maybe a little more, seemed like they had like the greatest luxury you could possibly have at the quarterback position to have your choice of Jamie Newman or JT Daniels. The the cascade of events that had to take place for Georgia to be down seven to five at halftime to Arkansas, one of the worst defenses in the country last season and have to bring in Stetson Bennett to rescue them. Uh, it's, qu- it's quite a drama for, for one week into the season for Georgia. And by the way, they got to turn around and play Auburn this week, who looked pretty good against Kentucky. Right. So I, I think there was a laundry list, as you said, of, of challenges here. And first of all, it wasn't just the quarterback issue. Uh, you know, their offensive line, especially on the right side of the line, looked pretty shaky. And I think think that hurt. You had, a, I think, 11 penalties that's going to hurt you if you can't get any anything really going. Uh, we'll find out what's going to happen with JT Daniels. I had heard that uh, that he had had maybe another procedure in January, and maybe that's part of what has taken a little while for him to to get cleared. I'm not sure. You know, I think there's a a lot of people who who watch USC who aren't totally sold that he was going to come in and be the five star guy. That'll, I guess he you know, had been hyped to be. We'll see how he ends up fitting there. Um, you know, it's like, I don't want to go into the overreaction mode and say, well, because they played a horrific first half and had their hands full for a while with Arkansas, that means they can't still win the SEC or certainly the SEC East. I mean, I was picking Florida because I just felt a lot more confidence in Florida's offensive setup than what I saw from Georgia coming into this year, but they still have really good players on defense and that that can carry you a long way, especially in the SEC. And look, I mean, Kirby Smart's had, uh, you know, had Auburn's number for a while. So we'll see if that, if that holds true or not, um, at least in terms of, you know, how they, how they play against Gus Malzahn. We'll see. We'll see. I mean, it wasn't, I don't know. Can, I guess the question is going to be, and we'll get ahead of ourselves in this, is can Auburn run the ball against against Georgia? I think that will be as much of a telltale sign as what what we're going to see from Georgia on the other side of the ball, just because I don't know if Auburn's offensive line is going to be good enough right now to, to see that defense. But uh, it's good that we're talking about these kind of in-the-weeds things, I feel like, at this point. 
Yes, and just to go further in the weeds real quick to clarify on Georgia's QB situation, yes, JT Daniels has not been cleared to play a game yet, but he did go through preseason camp, and by all indications, Dwan Mathis wasn't starting just because JT Daniels wasn't cleared. He beat him out, and so for Kirby to have to bench him midway through the second quarter of his first start was not an ideal way to start the season. I watched most of that Kentucky-Auburn game, and Bo Nix looked pretty good. Uh, No question, Seth Williams is a great receiver. That being said, I think people who are going to look at the final score, 29-13, and think that Auburn just manhandled them, uh, that wasn't the case. It was an even 15-13 game well into the fourth quarter, and then Kentucky just self-destructed and had uh, a fumble deep in their own territory that Auburn cashed in and then a bizarre fake punt uh, from their own 30. So the punter was standing around his 15, doesn't get it, and then Auburn you know, gets another short-fielded touchdown. And that's not to mention the, the you know, uh, heinous officiating uh, mistake that led to a touchdown being wiped off the board for Kentucky shortly before halftime. I'm not saying Auburn wouldn't have still beaten them, but it wasn't like they, they destroyed Kentucky. So... Uh, Georgia-Auburn, I assume, is the, the showcase game this coming week. Two top ten teams, and uh, no idea, no idea as we're sitting here talking, who would win that game. Um, but since you're talking bizarre, Stu, I think we should circle back to the Big 12 and our friend Tim Brando's game with Spencer Tillman Saturday afternoon. And... You're watching this where I think Texas was up at least by double digits. And there was a bunch of special teams. I don't want to say gaffes, but there was, you know, because Texas Tech pulled off a great onside kick right up the middle. And then there was just, you wrote about this on Saturday on Sunday morning in your column uh, on The Athletic about, yeah, they Tom Herman basically fired most of his staff and has new coordinators. But man, it looked very similar, and it did look very similar. Now look, it's only their second game of the year, and it's you know that is the kind of you know some of these changes you're not going to expect to happen overnight. But how much confidence do you have in Texas as a not just to win the Big Twelve, but anything to be a legitimate like top five, top ten caliber team? I'm not going to rule out them winning the Big 12, given given Oklahoma already has an L uh, in Big 12 play. It, it it did seem like we were watching the same exact team, where Sam Ellinger is the whole offense. I'm I'm still puzzled why Tom Herman is yet to to get an elite running back in there. Now it's only the you know maybe the freshman Bijan Robinson still could develop. I'm not. It's still very early in his season. I mean, he's a guy that um, everybody wanted. And the things I've heard out of Austin is they think he really is that guy. So let's not you know, dismiss that. But I, I don't even think that's the issue. I just think the issue still comes back to just so, defense. yeah. Yeah, you just don't see. Um, so Herman's been there four years now. So this is all his recruits and and you know, year after year, highly rated recruits, and you just don't see the the big time, uh, that guy's definitely going to be in the NFL, defensive players outside of um, maybe one or two. Uh, certainly they continue to struggle in the secondary. Alan Bowman had some really nice touchdown throws against them, and 
let's be honest, like the game, they had lost that game. I mean, it was, you had to, the Texas Tech, like that was an Atlanta Falcons type uh, collapse at the end. It was a 15 point game with three minutes left and Texas gets the touchdown, gets the onside kick and, and one of those onside kicks that bounces so far downfield that you're already well into the other team's uh, territory. And then the two-point touchdown, the two-point conversion, and the win in overtime, which ended on a uh, Texas Tech fumble. So, I mean, they could very easily be 0-1 right now, too. Imagine if OU and Texas both lost their first Big 12 games. Could be 1-1. No, I meant in conference. Okay, sorry. All right, Stu, I want to pivot to what used to be the game of the year for a long time in college football. And it hasn't been that for a while um, because both programs sputtered. But now Miami definitely is better. I know that they are. I, I am, as I've said many times in here, I'm not saying Miami's back until there's a parade. But Miami is definitely better. They are good on defense, which they've pretty much been since Manny Diaz has been there. And he hired Rhett Lashley, and the offense is so much better now than it was last year. And De'Ara King fits this system well. They've simplified a lot of things from what they were doing before last year, and I think that's helped their offensive line. They have good skill guys. They have a couple of terrific tight ends. And I was it, like 35-3 to three against Florida State? I mean, Florida State, this didn't this – didn't, start under Mike Norvell it didn't even the decline didn't even start under Willie Taggart it really started under Jimbo Fisher um and so I I'm gonna ask you which stood out to you more that Miami is looking like a legit top 10 team or Florida State looks like one of the I don't know 15 10 worst teams in power five right now well Miami looking like a top 10 team kind of started to take hold the week before against Louisville. So like, it doesn't surprise me at this point how De'Ara King is looking. I mean, I think, I think it's, I think they have a legit offense. I don't know why anybody would think otherwise at this point, but so what stood out to me is that, man, how is Florida state so bad? And I realized it was an unusual week. Mike Norvell, obviously he tested positive. He was not able to be with the team. But still, I mean, now also look back at the fact that they lost to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech got housed by Syracuse this week. So that's not good either. Uh, I was texting with Andy Staples about this. The, the, it's just a, I mean, and I'm always reticent to criticize college quarterbacks, so I'm going to couch this. But for James Blackman to still be their starting quarterback four years later, um, how does how did he not go out? I mean, there's the college quarterback free agency is a real thing now. Miami went and got one. Mississippi State went and got one. How do you not go out and get a, a, a grad transfer that could at least have the chance to to win your starting job? Uh, because the guy that has it now has a ceiling. Now he it's not just him. Their offensive line remains for four years running now. Embarrassing. Uh, you know, I think. Not having Cam Akers back makes a difference. But, yeah, it's Florida State. You have great recruiting cachet, and you could certainly think it would be a program that could could bring in some, some grad transfers that would have an effect. And uh, I don't know. It seems like they're going backward. Uh, I think Mike Norvell has his work cut out. I think the 
cumulative effect of all those coaching changes in such a short time is catching up to them. And so now it's like, you know, they, they, the past two years it's been a struggle to get bowl eligible. This Last year they did. This year it's going to be a struggle to win more than a few games. Yeah, I, and it's, it's fascinating because as much as, you know, we talk about recruiting and recruiting rankings – this is one of the prime examples. I think Texas to a much lesser degree, but this is one of those examples of where you're looking at it and going, man, this is what, how is this translated? And I think some of it is so much coaching turnover and it's not just head coaches, it's position coaches. But I mean, five years ago, they had the number three ranked recruiting class in the country. Four years ago it was the number six ranked recruiting class in the country. Uh, and then I think the year after that, it was number 10 or 11. I mean, so it's not like this is somebody going to point to, oh, this is what Iowa State is getting or this is what Washington State is getting. I mean, they had a bunch of some, uh, you know, these guys would be juniors and seniors came from, you know, top six classes. And it just and there are pockets of, you know, athleticism, certainly Marvin Wilson uh, before he got tossed from the game yesterday or last night, you know, he can be a dominant force, but just you look at it and go, man, this has just gotten so bad. And I keep think, you know, you keep wondering where is the bottom. And I kind of feel like some years down the road, maybe it's two years, maybe it's four years. Um, and maybe Mark, Mike Norvell will be the coach for this, but you will see some TV feature about how this was the rock bottom for Florida State and I don't know what I assume I hope so for their sake yeah I hope so for their sake I mean it doesn't get any more embarrassing to lose 52-10 to your arch rival and by the way Florida State under Jimbo won seven straight against Miami and now starting with Jimbo's last season they've lost four straight to Miami um and and just the and just the fact that they were both in rough shape the last couple years so it's it's got to be really galling for a Florida State fan to see, well, Miami did it. Miami transformed itself from last season to this year. How come we can't do something like that? Um, It'll be interesting to watch going forward how long it takes Norvell to dig them out of that. Any other uh, teams? I'll give you one we should probably talk about. Credit to Virginia Tech. Uh, 23 players they were missing, and, and this is, I think the first time I've seen this with a team so far this year where they were even down several assistant coaches, including their new defensive coordinator, for you know either positive tests or, or quarantine. Um, and they housed NC State despite that. Did you watch that game, Stu? I can't say I watched that game. Did you watch that game? Uh, I did not. I did not. Um, but it's, it's, this is going to be the norm, I think. Which part? The, the the guys missing or the guys missing and you still win handily? I think it's going to be the part where you're going to have a lot of just like give not giving up on a team, but you just won't know what to make of a lot of these teams, especially if they're teams that you're not – you didn't see them the week before. You're just kind of seeing tweets about how many cases they have or how many guys are in contact tracing or whatever. And – I, again, I just think that's going to be 2020 in college football. And this was Virginia Tech's first game. They, they'd had to deal with postponements. Um, you know, they'd had two, two games postponed already. So uh, 
Yes, I think that is going to be the norm. Um, a team that's having a really weird season, BYU. If you if you stayed up and watched the late night game, I mean they they couldn't look better in their first two games. Obviously, it's just Navy and Troy. And an interesting storyline for me there is they only have eight games on their schedule, so they only have so many chances to to impress. Um, and it's not a good schedule at all. I mean, it's who, it's whoever they could get. However. When the Mountain West announced they were coming back last week, Craig Thompson, the commissioner, indicated that Boise State would be allowed to play a non-conference game, specifically BYU, um, once the schedule comes together. So that would be a big boost for BYU to actually at least play one game against a pretty respected opponent. They're not going to contend for the playoff, but if they go undefeated, could they rise high enough to, to go to a major bowl? Um that would be something to keep an eye on. We talked about after the Navy game. You you had predicted they were going to have a really good offense, and boy, do they. I have to admit, I didn't get to see much of that game. It was, I saw them in like one big play, and then all of a sudden, I want to say it was like 8.40 our time at night, and I could not keep my eyes open. You know, like my son's trying to watch the the end of the basketball game, and I'm struggling. I think I got home at maybe because the Texas game went so long, I left Fox right after that. And these 4 a.m. wake-up calls are are rough. Uh, I mean, I got to admit, it's like your day starts so fast and it, you go from like zero to 100. Um, and then after, I think some of it is because I drink so much coffee in the morning now to get re- on Saturdays because of our big noon kickoff show. And I was like, man... I'm not traveling anymore. Now I'm still pooped on, on Saturday night. And it was like, it's just cause I think just getting up so early to prepare for the show. And so I did not see much of that game at all. I probably saw basically a little of the first quarter and I'm like, man, what's this going to be like once we have pack 12 after dark, I'm going to have to, I may have to take a nap in the afternoon at some point. That's going to be a, a real challenge for you because you are going to want to watch those Pac-12 after dark games. You're basically going to start your day at 4 a.m. and you'll probably need to be locked in until 11, 11.30 p.m. So that's like a 20-hour day. But hey, at least you didn't nod off on television like Reggie Bush. Uh, yes, my buddy Reggie. And at some point, so those guys were going to be on set for the end of the Iowa State TCU game. And then also had to do a, I forgot, it was like a halftime or something else. And so he, they're out there for a while waiting to get to the end of that. And I was not out there when this happened, but they caught him nodding off. And as they did, the same production crew, as they did with, with, Frank, with Frank Thomas, I guess, at some point, like a couple of years earlier. Uh, so Reggie was a good sport about it. But yeah, it's... Um, those those four a.m. wake up calls are getting the best of a lot of us. And they may may not be getting the best of Brady Quinn because Brady comes over from East Coast time, so it's seven a.m. Same thing with Urban, it's seven a.m. for him. But from out here for us, it's it's a little bit of a challenge at times, I guess. But it's a uh, it's a good problem to have. Gotta say, I did a triple take when Urban. You know, I just happened to have it on, and when they cut to the studio, I think. After, right after the Oklahoma game or maybe halftime of the Texas game. And he flat out said, and, and look, it's in keeping with how he was as a coach, he, he's the hyperbole. 
He said, yeah, he goes, credits are Chris Kleiman, but Oklahoma, you know, they're done. There's no way they can make the playoff. I was like, damn, that, that's quite a statement, you, you know, from uh, from coaches. You know, ex-coaches tend to be not necessarily have the most uh, uh, over-the-top opinions. But also I was like, huh, my lesson on that was learned from his own team when they lost to Virginia Tech in 2014. I remember being in the the green room, the avocado room with you guys. We were all like, the Big Ten's done. Big Ten's never going to make the playoff now. They'll never overcome this. And uh, they won the national title. So not predicting that for Oklahoma necessarily, but never say never. Back to the show in just a minute. But first, talking about erectile dysfunction is not easy. Usually we just brush it off or blame ourselves saying things like, I lost my mojo, or we avoid it altogether with excuses like, I had a long day at work, or sorry, honey, I'm just not feeling it. But with Roman, it's easy to talk about it with a real healthcare professional who can prescribe real medication. It's simple, safe, and totally discreet. With Roman, you can get free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your own home. A healthcare professional will work with you to find the best treatment plan. If medication is appropriate, Roman will ship it to you with free two-day shipping. The whole process is straightforward, simple, and discreet. Getting started is simple. Just go to roman.com grits and complete an online visit. Erectile dysfunction used to be tough to tackle, but now there's Roman. Complete an online visit today and connect with a healthcare professional and take care of it. Go to GetRoman.com slash Grits today. If you approved, you'll get $15 off your first ED treatment. That's GetRoman.com slash Grits. GetRoman.com slash Grits. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Okay, last thing is not about the games yesterday. It's about a story Bruce ran that went up on Monday about Pat McAfee that is just that just blew up. It's one of the most uh, read stories that the athletic has ever done in, in um, amongst the college football staff, uh, and it even got the attention of a certain future Hall of Fame NFL quarterback. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I uh, started working on the Pat McAfee story probably a month earlier and felt like, all right, I know a lot of people who were at, who either coached or played at West Virginia in that era. I bet I can get some good stories. And the stories were so much even better than I had hoped. And then I said, uh, I reached out to Pat um, over DM. I can't say I know him particularly well. He invited me on his show probably a month or so ago. Um, but so I said, hey, can you, do you have like 10, 15 minutes? And 10, 15 minutes turned into like an hour and 15 minutes. And it was almost all phenomenal stuff. He's just a really entertaining personality and he's very engaging and he's also really, really smart, which probably sometimes is the underrated part of that because of his personality. But anyway, uh, so the story went out and I was knew it was gonna do pretty well. I just felt like, all right, when you know you have really good stuff, you know it's gonna resonate. Never mind that it goes in with a huge, you know, guy has like 2 million followers and has a big YouTube show. So story goes up and it's getting a lot of buzz. And it, like you said, it takes off like a rocket ship in terms of 
the traction it's getting for our business. And I'm watching his show, which I do, you know, on the you know, sometimes have on the background. And Aaron Rodgers is going to be a guest, and I've been an Aaron Rodgers guy since he was at Cal and got to know him a little bit. Well, anyway, um, at one point I was doing something. I heard him talk about how far can you throw a football, Aaron, and went from there to like criticisms of of NFL teams after like one or two games. And then out of the blue, he goes, "Hey, great story by Bruce Feldman about you." And it, I was like, "Did I just imagine that?" And then they started talking about it. And so that definitely helped the story get even more traction. And I appreciate Aaron Rodgers for saying that. It, uh, it, I never was expecting it. And so that was very cool. And the response to the story has been really, really cool about it. And um, special hat tip to our colleagues, uh, Jason Kersey and Chris Kamrani. They don't know this or didn't know this at the time. But actually, the idea of that story or like kind of the, the seed of the idea came from a couple of stories that they had done, which got me thinking in the middle of the pandemic, a little outside the box. Kamrani had done a story on our friend Spencer Hall. And I was thinking of whose personality and who's kind of a, a big niche person who I think would make for a fascinating story. And that's how I arrived on it. And I'm glad I did. So I appreciate for all the people who have uh, read the story and responded to it. It's been really cool to see something you work on get that kind of reaction i think you said to me or you know the day it happened that um i said did, did you know that aaron Rodgers, you know knows your name and and you know you said yeah but like but i'm still amazed that he was it was it a six thousand word story yeah it was a six thousand word story and you know like usually nfl players are off on Tuesdays but like he must have read it earlier in the morning because it wasn't even up that long so for an NFL quarterback to read a 6,000 word story on something that just it's kind of random just kind of cool to hear at least as a writer most important takeaway of course Aaron Rodgers is, is a subscriber to The Athletic so what are you waiting for if you are not? that's right <laughs> if, if it's good enough for Aaron Rodgers it should be good enough for you and right now it's only a dollar a month Click on any story on the athletic, preferably my final thoughts column on Sunday morning, and uh, and and you can join us. You want to get to a couple of mailbag questions real quick? Okay, let's do it. All right, as always, you can send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. This is from I, I picked this one, Bruce, because it picks up on an idea that that you were really behind earlier uh, in the you know period where we didn't know if we were going to play football or not. Bill in San Diego, Stu and Bruce. With the Mountain West and the MAC potentially returning this fall and playing abbreviated schedules and no payout games against Power 5 competition, wouldn't it make more sense to play in the spring? More games, less TV competition, potentially some fans in the stadium. Seems like a no-brainer for the MAC and possibly the MWC. Am I wrong? Yeah, I, the, the Mountain West one is to me the most intriguing and curious of all this because the Mountain West is the one who has the most challenging local and state restrictions. And some of those are still in place. Hawaii, New Mexico, Fresno State. Uh, I had talked to some of the coaches at Fresno State uh, over the weekend for our big noon kickoff show. They weren't uh, aren't even allowed to practice yet. Now they're hoping to get an all, a full go and all clear by Tuesday. But remember, they're less than a month away from playing games. And so they're in the same footprint as 
as the Pac-12 largely, with some variants, obviously, but and the Pac-12 is basically starting two weeks later. So we'll see how this works out. They're testing three days a week. That's the plan, three times a week. So I don't know. I think it's hard for some of these other leagues to sit and watch everybody else play in FBS and and make the determination, well, they're all playing. We're going to still hold off on the spring. I think just for the rest of uh, FBS, that's a really hard uh, optic for them. And right now, there's only three schools that are not expecting to play in of the 130 in FBS, and that's Old Dominion, UConn, and New Mexico State. Yeah, I think I, I referred, it's FOMO, and I, I was surprised how many people didn't know what that stands for, fear of missing out. Uh, because I, as all by all indications, until the Big Ten decided to come back, those other three had no intention of coming back. The Pac-12 was talking about maybe Thanksgiving. I don't think Mountain West and Mac were talking about it at all. And then all of a sudden, you know, government clearances and stuff weren't necessarily as big a, a, a hurdle as they seemed like they were. And I think the one I'm most surprised about is the Mac because all throughout this, I mean, it's just been so clear the financial difficulties a lot of their schools have and now you're going to have to spend i mean they're doing four times a week antigen testing you know that's going to cost millions of dollars so but i guess it was and they're only going to play six games but they felt like it was important to basically not be on an island that once it was clear the other ones were going to do it we got to do it too so um, at the end of the day it's going to result in a beginning november 4th that's the night the wednesday night very fittingly that maction comes back beginning november 4th through december 19th we will actually have all of the conferences playing and from rob daniels gentlemen love the pod an excellent companion on my walks in the park thank you rob question with bowl games uncertain at best and schedules generally light on non-conference games will motivation be an especially large challenge for power five coaches as this unusual season progresses that's been something i've been wondering like you took so much buy-in to get these guys to stay disciplined and and you know keep the season going and i think they all wanted to play and and that was the carrot what happens once your team starts one and four it's a great question nobody knows the answer i know that is a concern for some coaches and certainly some ad's i mean i think i told this story a couple of maybe a week or so ago um one of the ADs I talked to said, you know, you have this challenge where you win a big game, your guys want to celebrate. And what normally celebrating on a Saturday night is very different than what they feel they should be doing now in terms of being responsible. And what responsibility in the era of COVID in 2020 is very different than what it normally is. And so that is that piece of it. And then the other piece obviously is the letdown of what the season starts to translate to. And I definitely think that is a, is a concern of something people are going to have to monitor. I mean, you can have daily testing, but that doesn't mean that if somebody brings something in, it can't, you can hopefully minimize some of the issues, but it doesn't mean all those issues are going to go away. So that's certainly a factor from what I've heard from, from some coaches right now thinking about how does this look down the road and remember free year of eligibility um that was put in specifically so that guys wouldn't feel like well we're only going to play eight games this year i don't want to waste it 
you know, I don't want to waste a season eligibility on this. So no matter how many, how many or how few games your team plays, you get that year of eligibility back. But could it work the other way where five, six games in the season, somebody says, okay, I'm opting out. And they are guaranteed, you know, that if they say it's for COVID reasons, then they have to honor your scholarship. You didn't waste a year of eligibility. I don't know. It's the great unknown. Well, we won't we won't know how it's going to play out till till the situation arises. But um, yet another thing to be concerned about in this most unusual of seasons. You can send your emails to the audiblepod at gmail.com. We're starting to realize it's a little tricky with the recording on Sunday mornings. People just don't have a chance to get questions in after the games. So it may be that we need to start doing our mailbag uh, in the second episode of the week. So send your emails to theaudiblepod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time. Jumping off bridges, spinning down hills and catching air. The dumbest things cause the greatest thrills. It's in the past, now I